Nathan Bond, letting others win, and how Rifle Paper Company ruled the world. Welcome to episode 23 of Local Masters. Each episode of Local Masters, we take a look at what's next in business, culture, and creativity with a thought leader in their field. Real Threat does this because we believe it can help you be a master wherever you are. Six years ago, Nathan and Anna Bond took a risk. Using their life savings, they launched a small stationary line called Rifle Paper Company. In the short time since that initial launch, the company has exploded. Seeing 18 million in revenue in 2015, fame in the world of fashion and design, and even placement on Forbes 30 under 30 list. Rifle success wasn't because of some weird Instagram moment or some lucky break where Oprah just happened to pick them up. It happened because Nathan and Anna put countless hours of work and dedication into a vision that people had yet to see. And while Anna is most often known for Rifle, she's the face, she's the ever-working artist, and she's, she's incredible. It was her husband, Nathan, who's often behind the scenes, that made many of their creative visions a reality within the world of business. This episode, we get to look at how that happened. Nathan and I sit down in person at Real Thread to discuss his successes, his failures, and some key lessons he and Anna learned that you could benefit from hearing. This interview is live. It's in the middle of Real Thread's massive warehouse. So close your eyes, listen to the whir of machines, and imagine yourself with us. To start, Nathan shares the beginnings of Rifle Paper Company. Really, it started with Anna doing freelance design. She was doing art direction at a magazine and uh, wanted to go freelance. And uh, I think it actually really started with our wedding invitation, our, ours. So she did our wedding invitation for our wedding and uh, sent it out to some blogs and it kind of got picked up and people were really excited about the style. It was really different than anything that was really out there. Um, it sounds a little bit cliche at this point, but she was illustrating us into it as a couple, and that really wasn't that big of a thing yet. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then from that, she started getting more job requests for other wedding invitations for other um, people, and those got picked up by blogs. And mm. so it's just sort of, I think, pretty quickly we realized there was something special about what she was doing, and mm. it was really resonating with people in a cool way. So I started helping her with her clients. I, I was at the time I was a full-time musician, mm. and um, I recognized sort of an opportunity. And you know, to be frank, she wasn't doing a very good job of managing her clients. <laughs> yeah. She was sort of dropped, uh, not getting back to them all the time, yeah. and trying to manage, you know, being creative and also managing clients. So I stepped in and was just, you know, I'll help you with your clients. I actually pretended to be her for a while. Really? Yeah, I sort of emailed as her. and just What was that of, like? Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was just sort of, a, I don't know why we did that. I just yeah. think it was, we didn't want to create confusion because everyone just thought they were working with a designer. And, Absolutely. And um, introducing me as her husband who was emailing them just yeah. felt, felt did, weird you know, at the time. Did you ever add like little like, like, you know, like touches that you feel like would be more like Anna's yeah, style? Oh, yeah, for okay. sure. I was definitely trying to write like her I didn't want to give it away you yeah know? totally so, totally yeah. so we did you know I was doing that for, for you know a few months three or four months I think just helping her out mm. and I think during that process we were having a lot of conversations how can we really work together how can we do something bigger than this 
there was clearly more demand for her style than mm. could produce in custom invitation work. Mm. That was obvious. So that was obviously not the long-term path. Um, and then we, I think, you know, had the idea of starting a brand and mm. thought stationery would... Obviously, we were already in stationery with wedding invitations mm. and thought it would be a, a cool way to get into more products and more things. And so, you know, Anna visited some trade shows and really thought there was something missing in the marketplace and nothing like the look that she was developing. Mm. It was still developing at the time, but, um, and I'm sure it developed even further after Mm. she went to the shows and saw what wasn't there, but Mm. it was sort of like that. And then um, we launched, you know, uh, about six months after that, the website. Wow, yeah. that's a that's a ballsy move. Because during that time, you know, people could just put it on Etsy. You know, I'm sure, sure in some sort of way. What made you want to move to a website immediately? We really felt like we had something powerful that mm-hmm. was going to really impact the industry. To be honest, we were really okay. confident that it was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how successful, um, and we didn't want to come out of the gate on a big cartel site or mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, what's the other one that everyone would have been Shopify, using. Shopify, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Shopify, I think was oh, around. Oh yeah, you're yet. right. You're right. It would have been um, yeah, it would have been Etsy or big okay. cartel or something, okay. something like that. We just thought it would be. We thought we want to come up with a bang mm-hmm. and really show that we were serious. Um, so we found this small shop that uh, that was really affordable, ridiculously affordable, actually. <laughs> and and I don't know, think we would have been able to pull it off. We actually that site was around for years. I mean, three or four years. Wow, which is crazy. We wouldn't have probably been able to pull it off. But Anna is pretty savvy with some. You know, she's she's not great, but yeah. she's she knows some HTML. <laughs> yeah. You know, she can kind of get by. Yeah. So we were able yeah. to keep it kind of fresh enough because it was a bare bones site. Mm. Um, but it, it just kind of was, it was almost, it just was almost so bare bones that it worked wow. for, a, for a pretty long period of time and, until wow. the new site. And, you know, it was a great decision. I don't think yeah. every business should do it, but it was, it was definitely the right call for us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I'm just fascinated by the transition because, um, you know, for those of you who are listening who are from Orlando, you know, Ben Marino, you know, at some <laughs> point and, you know, you being the front man, songwriter, lead singer, all those things. Ben Marino was a huge deal. Like, you guys would sell out every venue you went to. You were wanted nationally. You know what I mean? You guys had a huge Well, we would sell at venues here in Central Florida, not everywhere we went to. (laughs) I may have blown that up a little too much. No, but that's, that's, uh, no, man, it was was a career for you. It wasn't just, like, a little thing, at least from the outside, it felt that way. Was that, was that... I, was there was there sadness in leaving that behind, well, or did it feel like the right thing? Well, first off, it wasn't. You know, it was. We were trying to make it a career. Okay. I wouldn't say it was at that level. I mean, we were. You know, there was there were definitely some successes, and there were things mm. that uh, I think there were a lot of opportunities that could have turned into mm. successes and in, you know careers, quote unquote. Yeah, but yeah. but it, you know, it was it was you know, it's really tough to mm. be a musician. I think it's really it's not quite it's not the easiest path to choose. No way. And leaving it behind, no, there was no sadness at all. If anything, it was relief. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was sort of like, wow, this is something where there's a marketplace for it. There's mm. trade shows. There's buyers looking for cool stuff. As long as you bring something cool, mm. uh, you can have success because there are people that need it. You know, with music, mm. there's so many, you know, there's, there's almost, there's an oversaturated market. It's hard to make money with it in general anymore. It's just a, it's a changing, you know, landscape. You have to really be smart and creative to make mm-hmm. money. You'd really have to get into licensing and writing for other yeah. artists. You really have to, like, be doing all commercial work. You have to do all sorts of stuff generally unless you really get lucky or really are fortunate. Whereas I, I think in my industry now and, in you know, the stationery and gift world, you know, there are literally buyers that need product and need cool new stuff, and they're on the hunt. 
Yeah. And if you have something that they can sell at a good price point, that's thought out, that's high quality, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, they're going to buy it from you. So it's cool. You know, it's, you don't, it doesn't rely on luck and chance and who you know and all those hard things. It, it's mm-hmm. it's much more concrete. That was a relief to me to enter that sort of environment. Was a, you know, and you're not you know tr- fighting promoters to make sure they pay you and you know, it's, <laughs> totally, totally. it's just a different thing. Sketchy so. things. I was ready to move on. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I, and that's like that's helpful to hear. What were some of the things? in the music world that you felt like transitioned pretty naturally to the business world? You know, actually, I'll tell you, the thing I learned most um, with, uh, with Ban Marino uh, is, you know, we, we, we had a lot of opportunities that we didn't take advantage of, actually. Hmm. I think oftentimes we were scared hmm. to take advantage of the opportunities that were in front of us because um, there were a lot of unknowns and risks hmm. associated with them, and we... We just, I, I don't know, with the time we thought we were being prudent and wise to be patient. But the reality mm-hmm. is we weren't. We were being stupid and we should have jumped all over those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And we should have gone for those things full bore and just known, yeah, it might not work out. It, <laughs> you know, it, it's a risk for sure. But, it, you know, with Rifle, we never waited on our laurels. We never were patient. We never mm-hmm. were uh, careful. We went for everything. We just dove out. You know, we just started a website. We just launched wow. the brand. We just went, you know, it was yeah. sort of like, we didn't know how to do these things, but we went for it anyways, and we learned on the job. That is that is directly from a lesson I learned from, you know, back in the day as a musician, for sure. And I kind of forget that today because it's been so long since I learned that lesson. Wow. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing, actually. Great. So you guys launch, and I was looking at your website. You have this beautiful timeline set up, and it's interesting. There's just this period where it's like, you know, we launch our first site, and it's like 193 employees. It's just like this, like, incredible growth. (laughs) What was the, I guess, the turning point for you guys where it went from interest, people are interested, to just like, oh, my God. Like, it's just like explosive growth. Um, Or were there multiple turning points? No, you know, I don't really think there were. I get this question a lot. I, I kind of think that it was, it's been steady, mm. amazing growth since we started. Okay. I don't really think there have been big moments where we're like, oh, we got this new customer and wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Anthropology was our first customer. Okay. Um, I say that. I mean, we had a lot of customers right at the beginning, you know, the, the day we launched, asking to carry the line. Mm. And we told them, you know, you're going to have to wait till May. It, we launched in November, I think, and we said you have to wait till May, just because we realized we weren't yet ready to wholesale, and we mm-hmm. needed to figure out the landscape of that before we dove in, which was a good move on our part. So we kind of started as a direct to consumer business. Okay. We do okay. online only, knowing we were going to wholesale, but we started with the website to kind of get some traffic and interest. And uh, anyhow, so um, but Anthropology we took right away. So everybody else, we were like, wait till May. Anthropology, we were, we just went ahead and went for it brilliant and um, and that was just because they were there and wanted to do it and they we thought it'd be a good way to get our feet wet we thought we could manage one customer mm. <laughs> in the yeah, beginning yeah so uh, yeah anyhow so we started with you know what is continues to be one of our biggest customers mm. day one so I don't really think there was this big moment I just think it's been steady at growth and that's man that's fantastic I think one of the things I respect most about how you've led the business is how you've put products out, how you've tiered them. It hasn't been like, we're a lifestyle brand, like immediately, you know, like mm. just launching yeah. into it. What was the decision behind start, starting with stationary and then yeah. moving into iPhone cases and beyond? Sure. Well, I think that's, you know, you got to give credit to Anna for that. She's really smart about wanting to make sure the things were 
new things we're going into make sense, mm. that it's not just here's a random product we're doing that doesn't feel like it fits. Mm. I think we're getting to a point now where we can really get into almost anything and it would make sense. Mm. But at the same time, we like to do things in sort of groups that feel like they go together. And also, we, we don't want to, you know, tomorrow have 100 new formats. It would be overwhelming mm. to our customer. I think it's better to sort of, you know, we'd rather, you know, it's more really more about this. I guess if we could do 100 new formats tomorrow and they would, we'd be thrilled about all of them, maybe we would. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's more that we like to take our time to treat every format like it's the only format we sell. Okay. So we don't want to just have, we don't want to just throw mugs into the mix mm. because we know mugs will sell. We want to make the mug the way a rifle mug should be made. Mm. And that means, you know, the quality on in, down to every last detail needs to be just what we want it to be. Mm. You know, the price point needs to be competitive. Although it's probably, you know, based on the, the level of detail we expect, it probably won't be the most you know, the cheapest mug in the world mm. by any means. Right, right. We still want to make it a value add to the customer. So, you know, sometimes people, you know, for instance, we are actually working on a mug line, which is why I'm talking oh, about this right great. now. So the way our mugs will be, right, I think a lot of customers might perceive them as, as expensive compared to other mugs in the marketplace that would be design mugs. But our mug is going to be, you know, much nicer material, much nicer printing. It's going to have a lot to it. It's going to be mm. its, its own nice shape. We spent a lot of time getting the mold right. So there's a lot that we put into it. The reality is we're, bring, we, we're bringing a lot of value, we think, mm. to, even though the price point's a bit higher, it's really been worked on really hard with mm. all the factories and all the people involved to get the cost as, as affordable as possible at that level. So yeah. we take the yeah. time. We want to bring value to the customer. We want to give them something they're going to cherish and love. That that's the mug that every time they want to go, you know, get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, that's the one they grab. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of the way we think. So we want it to be as if we're a mug brand only. We're not going to do mugs until the mugs, that we're, and we're wow. going to candle line in the same way, right? Really? We, we want to sell candles as if it's the only thing we've ever sold and the only thing we ever will sell. Wow. So we're not, you know, it'd be really easy to, you know, a lot of brands can, will just like, they go, you know, they call up a candle company they collab with them they put throw some fragrances in they pr they're out with candle line six months later it really can be that easy mm. you know we've been developing this line for two years wow because we want it perfect you know we want it to really matter and, and that's probably going to come i hope this comes out this year and i think and hopefully our customers will see will be able to recognize that as well so mm. that's our philosophy on new formats we want every format mm. to be really something we're proud of we stand behind on its own face but again it's um it, it, you know, there's there's more to it than that, but I think it's a big part of it. Yeah. I uh, was reading, uh, I think in Forbes article, it said you guys do some sort of reverse engineering with your pricing, where you sure. choose a price point, and then, and I think that's such a hard thing for so many freelancers to choose a good price. I mean, what made you guys move in that direction? Well, so we we do it to to a, to an extent. You okay. know, if I okay. could, for instance, on this mug that I'm telling you about, if I could if I could have reverse engineered at two dollars cheaper at a retail level, I would have. Okay. Um, but in order to achieve realize, we realize in order to achieve what we want to achieve with this thing, mm. it's going to be two dollars more. So yeah. we're just we're we're moving the ball, but mm. we're, I mean we're moving the target. But generally speaking, yes, we sort of have an idea. Of, this is what we want to make. This is what makes it different. This is why we would love it. Mm. This is what we think our customers will might find special about it, and we want it to be this much money. Yeah. And so then we go out there and we meet with every factory. We talk to every person. We talk to every sourcing agent. We do whatever we can to make it happen. We talk to every person in the listicle chain. We come up with a million different ideas. Some of them are crazy. <laughs> like, what if we produced, you know, 
200,000 just blank mugs and then had, you know, stored them over here and pretty much like, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is we can yeah. do it. And we, and we're really creative, we're really resourceful about that stuff. Wow. And we try to go to achieve it. Um, doesn't always work. It can be really hard. Um, but I think, you know, for us in a, as a retail consumer brand, it's important because, you know, the price point really matters. It's really important. And, mm-hmm. but also margins really matter. You know, we're really passionate about margins. So one of mm-hmm. our, the keys to our success um, is that we've been, we've been non, non, we've not compromised our margins since day one. Mm-hmm. So it's allowed us to make sure we're making money with every sale, which allows us to make sure we're being able to reinvest in the company mm-hmm. and grow the brand. If you don't do that, you're not going to grow as fast as we've grown. We've just been yeah. able to generate income that way. So, um, so yeah, so it's a finding all those, getting all those pieces to fit really mm-hmm. hard. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's also for a consumer brand, it's, it's, it's key, uh, for a freelancer, um, I think you have to think of yourself, you have to think of what your value is. Mm. You know, it's more nebulous. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think the market should dictate, you know, is, is, at the end of the day, the market's going to dictate your rate. Mm. And, um, you know, my advice to a freelancer is keep pushing your rate until it doesn't work anymore. Like, <laughs> I would say keep inching that rate up. I mean, when Anna was a freelancer, that's what I encouraged her to do mm. is, you know, if you're getting, if you're booked at this rate, you need to raise your rate. Hmm. It's supply and demand. If you're booked at this rate, you need to raise your rate. And then at the, once you find that sweet spot where you're only booked up to the point where you, you know, and your and your rates as high as possible, that I think that's what you should do. Don't undervalue yourself. Hmm. You know, that's what I would say. That's <laughs> that's fantastic advice. And I think you're right. It's uh, my friends who have had the big, like the biggest success, have yeah. done that. They've just thrown out what seems to be astronomical prices at the beginning right, right. and you're right the market adjusts to it because they want that quality and if someone can provide absolutely. it absolutely I mean yeah. you can't you can't do you know you don't want to have your rate so high that you can't get work mm-hmm. so I think that's just the that's the that's the key is finding finding out where that finding out what your value is you know if yeah. you if you undercut yourself by making your rate too low you're never going to know what your value is you also could overvalue yourself and not get enough work and and that'll be a problem too but yeah, it's absolutely. kind of up to you it's an experiment it's a you know it's a it's a price find it's um it's price discovery mm. i think a, a freelancer's rate is price discovery always happening it never mm. stops probably that would be my assumption mm. i'm not a freelancer right. but that would be the way i would think about it and i have you know been around a lot of freelancers i think that's so i think i'm thinking of it right yeah <laughs> I, I think it's brilliant i love it i love it <laughs> So you get an email from Forbes, 30, mm-hmm. under 30. How did that happen? I guess it's a better question. How yeah, did that I have happen? no idea. That was really a surprise to me. Yeah. Uh, it was sort of, uh, we, I, we got an email, and it was, it was, it came to the, actually the company email was like, Nathan's been nominated, uh, we'll let you know in like a month if he gets it. So we sort of knew a month in advance of the magazine coming out that there was a chance that I was going to be Forbes 30 under 30. I have no idea who nominated me or how that came about. I don't know how that, I don't even know how the nomination process works. Man. And I know, you know, there were three judges. I think it was like one of the guys from Warby Parker and uh, I don't know. Who was the, it was the other guy was somebody huge. I, I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was. But, uh, you know, there were, there were three, you know, and, and somehow they, I was chosen. So I don't know what criteria. I don't know how they knew about me. I don't know who nominated me. I'm not sure what, what they were you know, when they were looking at all the candidates, mm. what reason it was me? No yeah. idea. I just know that it was me. I was in the mix, and it was cool. Yeah. I mean, what was that like for you personally? I mean, I, I, well, yeah. it, was, it was, you know, for me, it was cool because I never get any recognition. It's always Anna. So yeah. we joked about it. It was like, <laughs> finally, somebody cares about me. This is my moment. You know, and it was, and then, you know, and then we realized, 
oh, wait, but you're 31, so it probably would have been you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> or like, she was 30, I guess, under 30, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But either way, she was too old because oh, she's like eight months older than me. Oh, man. So I feel like they just gave it to me as a consolation because okay. she was too old. So, But, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're just, we won't, who, get into we won't that. think yeah, about yeah. that, you know. <laughs> no, that's so. great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious. What's what's one of the biggest as as a leader? The points you look back and you're like, man, I did I, I swung hard and I missed, mm. and we felt it. You know what I mean? Like mm. as a company, like did you have any losses maybe early on that you look back on and really grew from? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I uh, I can think of leadership deficiencies. Okay. okay. I, and I can think of things that we have swung on and missed. I, I'm, I'm not sure they're always exactly the same thing. Like, okay. for instance, uh, you know, when, what I was explaining earlier, when we, when we launched, mm-hmm. you know, we were in, it was in, due to inexperience, we didn't know how to manufacture anything. Mm-hmm. We had this kind of idea that manufacturer, you called the manufacturer, you told them what to do, and they delivered the product you asked for. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. We learned that, no, you actually have to do a ton of due diligence and mm-hmm. get in there with them and make sure that they know they know you don't need to know the manufacturing process, you know, really all, you know, almost as well as they know it. So you can talk their language and get in there and work with them and make sure the quality is what you expect and blah, blah, blah. So that was obviously a huge swing and miss. It had a, it was a, you know, created this nightmare scenario where we had all these holiday orders to ship mm. and no product to ship mm. really close to Christmas. So there's lots of, I have a lot of horror stories like that. Mm. There, there are other ones as well. Um, there's one that's so recent that it might be too much of a sore point to talk about it. Okay, uh, okay, okay, well... You know, we've been in business for six years, and we just had this situation where we had to come up with a solution. We had Cyber Monday coming up. Cyber Monday is basically two months, three months of orders in a single weekend. It's just crazy. It's just, you know, it's unmanageable. <laughs> so we re- And we're, we're, we're moving into our new warehouse right now. Really? So but we were supposed to be in it in advance of Cyber Monday. So mm. we thought that we'd be fine, but we weren't in in time. So we had to come up with a temporary solution. We, long story short, we got in a temporary space, came up with a really good plan, got through the weekend, and then realized after the fact... Or we were made to realize after the fact that we'd forgotten to get like a business license for this new space and really do anything like that. Because we saw it as sort of like, we're moving in this place for a couple of weeks, we just got to get some orders out and then we're out. We didn't really think about all the, you know, all the details of all the city regulations and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Which are not my favorite thing anyways, to be <laughs> yeah. frank, you know. Yeah. A, but, but it wasn't really that. It was more, uh, we just sort of, it just sort of slipped our mind. We were in, um, we were in scramble mode. We needed a solution. We came up with it. We got it done. Bang, bang. You know, we're good. But then we kind of got into some trouble. And, uh, and you know, that created a, a, a nightmare that was, you know, much bigger than it should have been mm-hmm. or needed to be. Um, sort of had a ripple effect to a lot of stuff. It's all worked out. We're fine mm-hmm. now. But it was... You know, things like that are just, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. That's another example. Just, you know, stupid stuff you have to deal with yeah. that may not cross your mind when you're thinking, I'm going to start a business. Like, make sure you cross your eyes, dot your T's, you know, or wait, other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but either way, it's, you know, it's an, it's an example of something that, um, uh, you know, but you know what? Here's the problem. You start a company and you do these things, things like that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. There's no way mistakes like that aren't going to happen no matter how diligent you are because you have a lot to do especially when you're you know growing as fast as we are and Mm -hmm. things are changing things like that get overlooked 
So, you know, obviously in the future we'll be really good about that issue because it created yeah. a lot of headaches for us. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's what you're looking no, that's, for. I mean, that's There's so, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that's the thing that um, people want to make a product, right? So they'll call Real Threat. They say we want a shirt printed. We're starting a T-shirt brand. And sometimes it is as easy as getting shirts sent to your house and shipping them out sometimes. Yeah. But I think there is something where people are wanting to make something like you've, you you and Anna built together. You know, this lifestyle brand that is 18 million and growing, mm-hmm. right? It's You do have to think about those things. So I think that's a perfect answer. And it's also interesting the way you kind of tackled it. It's like problems happen, keep going. You know, yeah. like, like <laughs> check, all right, see you later. That's a- It's no, no doubt. I mean, it really was like every day we were having to solve a new problem mm-hmm. that it created and, you know, deal with a lot of, you know, bureaucracy and you know, politics, and yeah. it was, you know, we kind of offended some people, like, oh, you're no. not playing by the rules, yeah. they don't like that very yeah. much, yeah. you're a loose cannon, you know, we, <laughs> they, they, you know, it just creates, things like that create lots of headaches for you, you oh, know, and, and you have to deal with them, and, and the way you deal with them is you don't lose your cool, mm. and this is actually real, you don't lose your cool, you don't let your pride get bruised, you don't go out there and do anything rash, you you know, you you work through the situation with you know with your head on your shoulders reasonably, mm. and um, you don't you know you don't take it personally, and and that's how you do it, and mm. and you you don't fight unnecessary battles. You know, there actually are a lot of business owners. This is a real problem with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, is they let their their ego and their pride get the way of solving problems. Sometimes mm. that's a real thing. My father was an example of this. Mm. My father was a really awesome uh, entrepreneur, or business owner. He owned a, a, a small insurance agency. Pretty actually became a pretty large insurance agency here in Central Florida, and he did really well. But you know, he, he would often let his kind of pride and ego get in the way mm-hmm. of uh, of solving problems. He would sort of you know it would become about the principle of the thing mm-hmm. when he felt like he was being slighted, which he probably was. There were probably lots of times he was being treated unfairly, or you know, it's but it, it would kind of get you know he'd lose his cool and it solve him, it prevent him from doing what really was in his businesses and his best interest, which was sometimes just backing off, mm. letting someone else win, working with them, mo- getting through it and moving on. Mm. Instead, it, he would, you know, you, he would want to do battle, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really, that's actually advice I have for any business owner because mm. I think it's really easy. You know, you take what you do really personally, you really care about it, um, you pour everything you have into it, and when someone comes in the mix and, you really, you know, and you're kind of, and it's annoying, you know, it's annoying and doesn't really make a difference and it's just a headache for you and blah, blah, blah. Or, or maybe you, you have, you feel like you're being a little bit taken advantage of by some, by maybe, you know, by somebody or whatever. I think the tendency is very quickly to, to, to try to protect your baby and mm-hmm. principle and protect your pride and go, go out there and do battle. And oftentimes it's actually better to just be really uh, diplomatic, mm-hmm. even though you don't feel diplomatic mm-hmm. and get through it and move on hmm. and that's uh, that's a, a, a really key to success I think actually big key that's brilliant that's brilliant because I think a lot of times sometimes in losing those battles it does feel like everything's over uh-huh. but to have that perspective is incredible no you have to be okay with losing hmm. uh, um, hmm. you have to be okay with letting other people win is what I mean you're not okay. losing okay. you keep the you keep hmm. the big picture in perspective hmm. you think if I let this person win um, and I'm not really referring to the situation. Right, I'm right. just talking in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you if you let the other person win, 
uh, you, you it gives you a chance to win later, maybe bigger. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make, giving yourself allies instead of enemies is oftentimes. Even if you have to give up something you think is a little bit stupid, mm-hmm. um, can oftentimes come back and really work for you. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's what it is. It's pick your battles. You know, it's a very classic thing to say, but it's very true, and people are bad at it. Yeah. So uh, really try to pick your battles. Be smart. There you have it. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your insight with us. It's it's always a privilege to talk to you. And, and honestly, man, we take a lot of pride knowing that folks like you and Anna are doing such huge things and you're launching from our neck of the woods. It's incredible. Now, if you're listening and you've never heard of Rifle Paper Company, you need to, you need to work on that right now. Go to riflepaperco.com and check out their newest line of goods. It's incredible. Buy some stuff. You'll, you'll love what you get. We'll be back with another episode soon, Uh, but if you enjoyed this one, go check out our back catalog of episodes. We have great interviews with people like Jessica Hish, Debbie Millman, Droplin, and and beyond. As always, the team at Real Thread is so grateful to share this insight with you. If we haven't worked with you yet, we would love to. Uh, We make some of the best custom screen printed shirts in the world. So go to realthread.com and let's make something beautiful together. Thank you for listening. Um, we do this because we love what you guys are doing, uh, the creative stuff that you guys continue to put out. So, um, you know, until the next episode, keep on making things that matter. Hold on to me now.